I challenge you to a duel. Hello and welcome back to the Movie Jewel podcast with me, Liam, and my co-host, Peter. Hello there. How you doing, Pete? How's things going? Not too bad. I'm currently sweating my weight off in this warm, blistering heat. Yeah. It's hotter than Satan's crotch, as they say. <laughs> or hotter than a housewife reading Fifty Shades of Grey at a Magic Mike show. Oh, that's pretty hot. Mm. Been watching any movies this week? Not other than the the two that we're going to discuss today, really, because yeah. um, uh, one of them, your choice, I'd not seen, so it was, it was a first time viewing for me, so I had to obviously make sure I got that in. Um, okay, cool, that's exciting. I did make a start on watching Moonfall. Wow. Yes, um, which mm. started off really badly, sort of picked up in the middle, Yeah, and then there was a point in the last... 20 minutes i just thought no this is gash and stop watching yeah pretty much i haven't seen it but i'm fairly certain it is shit yes yeah there's a lot of a lot of major missteps in that film i would i would not recommend it no i I won't be going to see it it's weird like roland emmerich he just keeps making the same disaster movies over and over again like why don't you just do something different really well that's it it's it's the thing is, I know you haven't seen it, but it's very, it's sort of a mashup of 2012 and Independence Day 2. It's just a weird, yeah. it's like, it's just got no originality to it whatsoever. Yeah. I guess people must be watching them though, because he keeps getting this money to make them. So, Well, I mean, it's on it's, yeah. it's streaming into it as well, so I think that helps to to get the yeah. numbers. I bet it had a fair budget, though. I bet it was. I, bet I wouldn't it was have cheap. thought so. No, I mean it's pretty. I mean, you know, there's a lot of shots. In, it's it's shot really nicely. It looks pretty cool, but there's just no. The story's really poor. The acting's well. The acting's all right, but just some of the characters are just terrible. It's mm. awful. Well, you can't polish a turd, but you can roll it in <laughs> glitter. So. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, it looked nice, but anyway. I also have just watched the two choices that we uh, have picked this week. But I also have watched a couple of documentaries on Netflix. Um, and I do quite like their documentaries. They seem to be pretty decent, some of the stuff on there. One was the um, uh, documentary about Woodstock 99. Oh, yeah, I've got, that on, I've got that on my watch list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty decent. It was, it was good. And the other one was... I think it's like I killed my dad or I killed my father. Some. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, Good. Yeah. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, it was not too bad. So you know, they they were interesting. I'd be interested to in in that Woodstock. Did they do do the interview sort of Fred Durst? They do, but I, th- from what I remember, I'm certain it's just they inter- interview him literally as he's just come off the stage. All right. Okay. Not not now when he's looking like he's in hiding. No. Yeah. Um. But they did interview. I think it's. I don't know the guy's name, but like the lead singer of Corn. Like I used to like Corn yeah. when I was a teenager. But 
now just cringe. Um, when you were an angster and teenager. <laughs> yeah, when I had the big baggy jeans and wanted to be a skater, rocker, and ugh. Oh, and Fatboy Slim. Fatboy Slim's there. They interview him. That was, that was yeah. But yeah, it's worth a watch. I would uh, definitely recommend it. They do have some good documentaries on there. The only other thing I started watching this week on your recommendation, actually, was The Boys. I watched the first episode yes. in a bit. Wicked. Well, obviously, it's a TV show. It's not a movie, and we won't talk about it too much, I guess. But what do you think? Did you like it? It got me fairly interested, yeah. I think yeah? It's, I've been missing sort of very depressing, sort of angry, not not very nice kind of dramas in my life since Game of Thrones and finished and walking dead got shit so yeah yeah we'll get we'll give it a go i'll give it the college try well let me know how you get on um i think you'll enjoy it it's very silly and very depressing and it's a lot of fun right anyway uh enough with the pleasantries we shall commence talking about our movies that we've picked indeed your choice. Yes. Your choice this week. Yes, my choice. So the theme or the subject I picked is best Stephen King movie that has Stephen King in it. So it has to be based on a work by Stephen King or a screenplay by Stephen King. Um, and he also has to have either a cameo in it or be in it. Pretty much all the movies he's in are cameos. I don't think there's really one that is like a full proper role maybe one of the ones we're talking about but it's more of an anthology segment type thing so i thought it kind of made it a little bit interesting because obviously some of the best stephen king movies are ones like shawshank misery stand by me ones that don't really have him in it so it kind of limited the field of films to pick from and maybe had to make us think about what might be the best ones. so would you like to tell the good people your pick uh, Pete, the first movie we're going to be talking about. Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was a little bit of a tough choice because the what for one there wasn't a lot that I'd actually seen, so there was only really two choices, which I'll go into obviously once we've finished discussing and and other things I might have picked. But the movie I went for was Pet Cemetery from 1989, directed by Mary Lambert, starring. Dale Midkiff, the strangest surname ever. I keep wanting to say Midriff. Uh, but Dale Midkiff, Denise Crosby, Fred Gwynn, and of course, Mr. Stephen King. What is this place? I brought you here to bury Alan's cat. Daddy, is Church all right? Why, Judge? I have Marines. I dreamed he got hit by a car and you and Mr. Crandall buried him in the pet cemetery. What did we do tonight, Judge? What we did, Lois, was a secret. So the story of Pet Cemetery is uh, that after tragedy strikes, a grieving father discovers an ancient burial ground behind his home with powers to raise the dead. Uh, based on the 1983 novel of the same name, one of King's sort of earlier works, inspired by the death of his daughter's cat, the the story of, of Monkey's Paw as well. It was he, he said he's taken a lot of inspiration from that. Um, sort of wishes uh, the story of Monkey's Paw is is somebody finds a, a monkey's paw um, that grants wishes, but the wishes come at a price. Um, and King has actually stated uh, that this novel is, out of all of his written work, 
gen it's genuinely scared him the most. And you can see that this it's uh there's not a lot of great films with Stephen King cameos. And don't get me wrong, I'm not going to argue that Pet Cemetery is a fantastic film, five star film. But as we'll get into, it does horror very, very well. So I can see you know, you can see. I've looked at some interviews with 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 King, and 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 his sort of feelings about it, and and obviously it's about his family, really. You know, it's it's based on members of his family and tragedies that that befell them. So his 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 daughter's cat was run over. He was doing a residency at a university in um, I forget where it was. I think it was somewhere in Maine, though. I think um, and. And uh, he got this house on the highway. Uh, his daughter's cat got run over, and there's the pet cemetery at the back of the house. Um, and then his son, very nearly, sort of wandered into the into the highway and uh, and uh, and got run over. But luckily, obviously, he didn't. Um, so as I said, it's it's directed by Mary Lambert. Not well, she's got quite a strange filmography. Really, she sort of found fame pre pet cemetery with the like a prayer video for madonna and a few other sort of music videos but then if you look a bit further down her, her filmography you've got things like urban legend bloody mary which i don't think i've seen i haven't seen either of them i've seen i've seen one of the sequels but i don't think i've seen bloody mary i've definitely seen i think it's the second one but that's by the by uh, and then a really random one, Mega Python versus Gatoroid. Okay, wow. But then other than that, you know, she's. I think she's done episodes of The Blacklist. Some. I think quite recently she's done a lot of TV. I think hasn't she? I mean, I haven't looked yeah. too much into her filmography, but from what I have seen, that she's done a lot of TV. But there is, you know, I don't think it's not the direction isn't necessarily something I would point at as being fantastic in the film. It's. Mm. It's quite ordinary. There's not a great deal of fantastic sort of shots in there. Uh, there's one or two that are, are really good. And obviously the, cl- the screenplay is also written by Stephen King. And you can sort of tell that he's, he perhaps sort of struggles with that a little bit. Especially, I don't know whether that's just condensing the story down. It's In all honesty, it's not a book I've read. I do struggle a little bit with Stephen King. Yeah, I haven't read it either. Um, I do have it. I have a big stack of Stephen King books that I would like to get through at some point so it is on my reading list I will admit that I haven't read the book either of I only know it from the film I think you can certainly you can certainly tell in the film that there's a lot of there's a lot of subplots there's a lot of things that don't quite get fleshed out you can see that the sort of their bubbling surface you've got Zelda you've got Judd's backstory you know all that sort of stuff and yeah. i'm sure that's knowing stephen king and the books that i have read of his they're going to be sort of massively fleshed out in that book i think it's it, it, the script may be trying to do a little bit too much there's one that may be a little bit in there that could be sort of taken out but again we'll discuss this as we go on and obviously king plays uh the priest at, uh, at mrs funeral quite possibly the World's most depressing housekeeper. Go on to get his nuts cut. Yes, thank you, Missy, for introducing that colourful phrase into my daughter's vocabulary. Don't mention it. Who I immediately recognise as Mrs. Paddock from the X Files from the Handy Villets. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Which is a fantastic well done. episode. Uh, 
I would have had to look that up because I was like, it was bugging me. I, I know this woman. And yeah, well done. Well, actually, can we ha- just play a little, I don't know, six degrees of X-Files or something? Because in our episode last week, when we were talking about Predator 2, the lady who does the um, testing on the Predator weapon that Harrigan finds, she's in an episode of X-Files 2. And I can't remember the name of the episode. I'm sure you will. But it's the one with the little boy who... Uh, they think is possessed. Oh, um, uh, oh, it is the the his, Calisari. His little sister's. The yeah. Calisari. Yes, okay. she is. She's Golda. Yes. Yeah, she's she's the grandma. Yeah. Fantastic. But anyway, <laughs> sorry. I thought I was thinking I knew her from somewhere as well, and never that never my research never quite got that far with that. But I mean, you know, it, it's it is a bit of a bizarre film. It's it's almost got a, a sort of family. TV movie kind of vibe to it. Um, yeah, got that. Do you think that comes from the fact that the acting is maybe not so strong? Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. there are two really sort of standout poor performances in this film, and unfortunately, one yeah. of them is is Dale Midriff or whatever his name is. Um, yeah, he is. I don't know. I couldn't find anything on it, but it almost looks like he's being dubbed. Okay. If you lots very, I found him to be a bit wooden. Oh, he's like incredibly. He's... You know, he goes from sort of naught to ten in the emotional scenes. Yeah. Like you wouldn't believe. You know, I don't know whether that was in- intentional or, or or not, but it was. Yeah, it's it's not great. Don't shilly shally, Lewis. Give the little girl a promise. Church will be fine. I promise. Yay! Denise Crosby as Rachel isn't fantastic either. She's just dreaming of them days when she was in Star Trek. On my home planet, there was so much poverty and violence that for some, the only escape was through drugs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got an interesting little side story here for you because she directly relates to the first time I ever cried watching a TV programme. All right, okay. When her, when her character died in... I mean, I'd only been about eight, I think, something like that. But when her character died in Next Generation, I cried. Yeah. As a little boy. Yeah. So there you go. She gets killed by that muck monster. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And I was never I was never a huge Star Trek fan at all. Um, but I do remember sort of watching that. I couldn't name very much about sort of the the TV series at all but mm. I do have a vivid memory of that really upsetting yeah. me. I think I I was in such need of sci-fi that like I I would take it whatever I could get and that was next gen. Um but I do appreciate oh, it's it good. now I'm older. To be fair whenever it's sort of on and I sort of pick up on it and just I'll just maybe sit and watch a bit of something that's on or whatever on the horror channel because it's, it seems to be on there like all the time. I'll sit and uh, and watch it. But I've never been a big Trekkie, to be fair. No, me neither. Um, but yeah, he sort of t- he starts this. It's the, f- the start of the film. I think it really sort of sets it out. Is you've got this sort of scanning through the pet cemetery, all the headstones that have been made for the pets and everything else, and then you've got these really terrible voiceovers of the kids reading the tombstones and things like that, and things written on the tombstones like "Biffa, Biffa, a hell of a sniffer." I'm going to go on the line and say that those those might be actual things from the book, I imagine. I would imagine yeah. so, yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, going back to to the performances, 
the probably the best performance in the film is is Fred Gwynn as as Judd. Okay. Judd. Judd. Judd Cranwell. I live just across the road. You won't watch out for that road. Them damn trucks go back and forth all day and most of the night. Probably a story that will come up quite a bit, to be fair, is my sort of real introduction to, to sort of sci-fi and horror and monster movies and things like that was through my grandma. Um, she absolutely loved anything sort of monster movies and sci-fi. So she used to watch a lot. I used to watch a lot of the old sort of TV programs like Battlestar Galactica, The A Team, not UFO. What's it called? The Invaders. Um, and one of the things that we always used to watch was the monsters. Yeah. So that was my sort of knowledge of of, of Fred Gwynn. I can't really think of anything other than Michael's and Vinny. Yeah. He's the judge in that as that's well. That's what I was gonna. Uh, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. I also used to watch the monsters and. I noticed him when I, I remember the first time I watched My Cousin Vinny, and I was like, oh my God, it's it's him from The Monsters. It's Herman Monster. Yeah. Another little side note, I know we're getting away from Pet Cemetery. here. Ah, well. It's one of my, it is one of my proudest moments at a pub quiz. The question was, what American TV show was the first to show a married couple in bed? And I plumbed for The Monsters, and it was right. Yeah, okay. First ever. Because okay. I vivid, vividly remember those sort of, obviously they're not doing anything, just sat in bed like the two Ronnies, yeah. or not the two Ronnies, was it Morecambe and Wise, um, and just having a, a conversation about what's happened or whatever, but uh, but yeah, yeah okay. didn't win the quiz, but never mind. But yeah, I mean, in terms of performances, you've then got Blake Badal, Ellie Creed. Oh no, sorry. No, Ellie Creed. Ellie Creed. Yeah. Miss Ellie. I think you're going to be just as happy as a clam here, Ellen Creed. A clam's really happy. Who <laughs> <laughs> actually can sort of on the surface look like a bit of a just a, a standard sort of kids' performance and that, but I think she's actually better than most of the adults in this. Okay. It's very sort of, having a daughter who's around the same age as her, she it does come across very sort of realistic because that's the kind. It's the kind she she says the kind of things that. Um, you know, a kid of that age would say, um, and keep talking about it, and you know, it, it's it just comes across very realistic. That might be just to me because that's my daughter is very much like like Ellie. She's she's very sort of passionate and okay, and 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 th- overthinks things. It could just be that that's what kids do at that age. It's the first time I've had a child that age, so. Uh-huh. Who knows? Well, I hate then... I hate to say this that because I I didn't like her at all. I hated her. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie, not your daughter. I mean, I'm just like I, yeah, I did not like her. I I wish that the truck had run over her. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Which is what they but... do in the remake. Just it is. I was going to talk about the remake yeah. at the end. Yeah, it's, it's it's I've not seen it. I've seen some clips and stuff, but I don't know. I've seen it. All right, fair enough. (laughs) And then you've got Mika Hughes, who plays Cage. Gage. Okay. Gage. Good God, it sounds. This this is coming off terrible, isn't it? It's like I've not done any research at all. (laughs) Gage. Gage. Yeah. You're flying it. Here's the car. You got it. Gage is flying it. You got it. It was pretty good, to be fair. I. Um, Yeah, I agree. He's really good in this. I think he's the best actor in it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so you know it's it's 
It is just very strange. I don't think there's, again, there's, you've got a standout performance really probably for Edgwin, but it's, that's, he's doing the best with what he's got really. And then last but not least, you've got Brad Greenquist, who plays Victor Pascal, who is quite possibly the worst prognosticating ghost ever in the world. It's the end of the line for me too. I'm not allowed any further. I'm sure things will be fine. I'm not. <laughs> but, you know, it's like the early scenes with him, he's, he's sort of playing up to being a ghost. He's, he's, he knows he's, he's, he's spooking out. Um, uh, the, the dad, he's, he's, he's playing with him a little bit. <laughs> it's a little bit sort of shaky that it's, I want to help you because you tried to help me and everything else. But you do get sort of some pictures of, of him when he was alive and he actually looked better dead, <laughs> yeah. this this guy. <laughs> Is he supposed to be a teenager? Because it's weird. He looks like a 40-year-old man in that picture on his file. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's sort of, you know, but I don't really get it. It might be an American thing, but I don't really get the whole sort of setup with Lewis Creed being the, yeah. the doctor at a school. But and you sort of assume that it's going to be a medical school, but it it's not because they call for an ambulance. You think, well, I don't know. I don't know what the setup is. Maybe yeah. it's explained in the book. But it's funny when uh, I got into the rewatch because I hadn't seen this film for God quite some time, and it always used to scare me when I was a kid. And uh, it still does. It's still pretty scary. I think it holds up. But I used to be really scared of of that guy, that Victor Pascal guy. Like, and I love when uh, Denise Crosby is saying uh i hope you have a first good day at school doc and then it's an instant cut to this kid's <laughs> smashed open cranium and his brain's falling out <laughs> yeah I, I really like but that. yeah you know it's uh you obviously get the the part where church meets his his demise and gets <laughs> yeah. peeled off the off the off the frosty ground that is sort of that is a point where you sort of think because uh, he obviously sort of peels yeah. him off, and then it's referenced later on, isn't it? That he's, um, you know, the, the Judd says something about the uh, the sound he made when you <laughs> scraped him off the floor, <laughs> and then they go to the pet cemetery past the pet cemetery, which is yeah. fucking miles. I'd have walked back. I think I'd have said, "I'll just explain to her cat's dead." Um, at yeah. one point, sod that. I'm really surprised that that old guy made it all the way up there. Yeah, but then obviously, you know, it's movie magic in it because, you know, it takes him about a day to go there the first time and when he when he takes his, his son, it's uh, it's about 10 minutes. Yeah, it's not that far at all. Yeah, with a full, with a kid's body as well. Yeah, and I bet he wasn't light. <laughs> but, you know, I like the little, when he falls, you know, I've, I guess I lost my happy thoughts. And his MAGA hat. Um, well, he nearly did. Um, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, Fred Fred Gwynn again gets he gets all those those sort of it's it's quite a little sort of nuanced performance really because you you know he's obviously this this sort of kindly old man but he's he's very quickly got that sort of dark side to him and you don't really know whether you can you can sort of trust him but you know he's all, he's definitely got there. Got the best of intentions, Auntie, but it just all goes horribly wrong. There was one scene I felt like it felt a little bit weird and uncomfortable, and like I don't know whether his acting was not great in that one scene or whether it was because him act, 
acting opposite Mr. Wooden guy, it was really bad, but it was after Cage gets hit by the truck Mm -hmm. and he's being really emotional saying like, it's his fault that he died. And he sort of gently, but firmly at the same time, slams his fist on the kitchen table and he sort of like starts to cry, but stops himself. I just felt like it was a little bit weird. You're telling me that place New Gage was going to die. I'm saying that the place might have made Gage die because I introduced you to the power. I may have murdered your son, Lewis. But I don't know whether that was just because Matey Boy was just doing nothing. I think it's... I so, I sort of read that scene as he's he's he knows whatever he does now, he's not going to stop this man taking his kid. Yeah. Because he starts with the whole, you know, dad is better. Yeah. And each time he says it about three times within that little speech because he's talking to him and he knows every time he says dead is better, it gets lower and lower. And he's like, dead is better. And, and it's just, he's, he knows whatever he says, he's not going to, he's not going to make a difference. And he knows he's already shown him it with the cat and it's just not going to work. And, he knows it's not going to have a happy ending at that point. That's the way. I, if I think, if you read it like that, it's it's quite a good little scene. I think. Yeah. But obviously, we do, we sort of have the worst attempt at raking leaves <laughs> as well before he meets the the undead church. He just sort of fucking gives um, up. Yeah, it's so sort of like I don't, again. I don't know if that's sort of meant to be meant to be the scene. It's just like. But I've had days like yeah. that, to be fair. I've had to tidy the garden. I'll just go, oh, fuck it, I'll have a beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of beer on on hand for this film, to be fair. The judge's yeah. got a well-stacked he's doing, stacked fridge. He's doing good. Is that you, Doc? Yeah, it's me. Well, come on up and have a beer. But obviously you've got that... There's, you know, there's lots of little bits in this that I like. Like Judd talks about that, you know, he, Ellie learning about death and he wanted to spare her from having to learn about death and then... Obviously, the next big thing that happens is that Missy kills herself, and yeah. she learns about death anyway. Yeah. So it's it's it all could have just avoided, um, been avoided. Sorry, um, and yeah, the cat stinks. I'll not I'll not insert any <laughs> any, any joke into that. But God, I'm trying um, so hard not to. <laughs> we got smelly pussy. I do I do like that. The you know. The cat's back, but she's not that she knows it went away, but she's just bothered about the fact that it stinks. <laughs> and then, really, it's you know, the whole f- film from there really, it, it really, really, really ramps up. And this sort of the, the next bit, Gage's death, is it's something I, I remember watching the first time watching this. And obviously, it's not a very nice scene, but watching it, I think a couple of years ago, I'd watched it for the first time in a long time since I'd had kids. And it was just a very difficult scene to watch because anybody who has toddlers about, you know, you only have to take your eyes off them for a second. So it's a very, it's a very sort of real worry for parents that you know you could take your eyes off them and something happen, kind of thing. And um, so not to get all all deep and emotional about it, but it was a very one of the two very difficult scenes to watch for me. Compared to, like, say, when I was younger and watching it, and it not really, obviously, like, I say, it's it's not nice. Yeah, but it's. But it just affected me in a completely. This might sound a little way. bit weird, but because it's a kid getting hit 
by a big semi truck sort of thing. Um, I kind of feel like it's done in a tasteful way. Yeah, like yeah. just the f- the fact that you kind of see the truck just about to come to to gauge, and then you just see that little tiny shoe in slow motion rolling across the tarmac with that little bit of blood on it, and it's just that's all you need to see, and it's just seeing that little shoe flopping about. It's like. Like I don't have kids or anything, but I, I even I found it a little bit horrible to watch. Like, but mm. it was, and especially when these Polaroids just start coming out of like when oh. yeah, when Cage was born and all these like family moments, and then all that's gone now. Like, but that well, that's it. They saw almost like that's it. That's all you've got left yeah. is, is these photos yeah. now. You've got nothing. You've got nothing else. Um, because you do, you know. Again, you know, they're they're the moments. They're you know the things that you think about, or you you certainly would think about. Yeah. Well, even Judd says um, that later on, doesn't he? About like you know the memories and stuff when he's talking about grief. Like you you, you have the memories. Um, yeah, yeah. But that, I mean that's another little sort of nuance to to his character and, and the little scene for him because he's he's talking to Ellie, but you know he's talking to to Lewis as well. He's he's there. He's talking. Yeah. You know. It's a nice little performance. Yeah, it is quite sweet. Even even though it's his fault. Yeah, <laughs> on the whole. <laughs> but there we go. And then you get sort of some of the weirdest, the weirdest bits of the film. Really, you've got the this funeral yeah. where um, it gets called a stinking shit by Rachel's dad, who we've already sort of learnt was a bit of a bastard because he, he used to leave his daughter with um, a heavily disabled woman in the house. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, or guy. Yeah, as, <laughs> um, who's again supposed to be a teenage girl. I mean, you know, just to to sort of pick up on that really, because it is, it's one of the creepiest parts. I don't think it really fits great, but it works well on a horror level. It's 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 obviously very disturbing. Yeah, um, and creepy. It's not very PC, really. No. This poor girl's got. Spinal meningitis, and I would imagine it's obviously a bigger part of the of the novel, but it does feel very sort of shoehorned in. But then again, like I say, it does provide again a couple of the the freakier sort of scarier moments mm. when it gets to later once Gage has come back and she goes into that house and she's just there. She's sort of there, but you don't quite see her. It's a very nice little shot, really. But yeah, then you've got the funeral. The funeral is just oh my god. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable, very disturbing. And then, then Rachel and Ellie go back to to her mum and dad's and leave leave Lewis at home, but they can't uh, can't get hold of him. Ellie's having dreams, thanks to Mister Pascal. Yeah, um, Pat Pat's Pat's cow. What do you call him? Pax Pascal. Pat, oh, oh yeah, I can't remember. Pascal or something. Although Rachel's mum. Clearly does not have a clue about what men do when they can't get to him on the uh, on the telephone. He's not home. He probably went out for a hamburger or a chicken dinner, dear. You know how men are when they're alone. <laughs> she, <laughs> she hasn't been around a lot of men. No, certainly not. Not men who are home alone. Um, they're either going to bury their recently deceased son in uh, in a pet cemetery yeah. or they're probably having a big wank yeah he's, he would have wanked himself into a coma <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know you get this this sort of and then pascal's 
um, Pascal, sorry, is taking is sort of leading Ellie back to back home to to try and rescue the situation, rescue her husband, and he's really pleased with himself as well. Even though he he basically orphans Ellie, and he's he's not really sure that things are going to be okay, but he just sort of leads Rachel back. Regardless. How did you feel about him in those later scenes? Like he was quite comical in a way. Do you feel like that's messed with the tone a bit too much, or do you feel like you needed a bit of that comedy relief because the film is so dour and so depressing? Um, I don't know. I didn't really sort of see it as that. It was just it almost came across as a reason to get her back to the house, yeah. and not really justify the. The really unhappy ending. Not that it's not a hun. It wouldn't be as on you know a still an unhappy ending if you know she didn't go back. She stayed there and survived. But it just that's the what that's what it came across as is was it was just that's he's getting about there. Mm. Well, I think the like the film is talking about grief and dealing with death. And the thing about Rachel is the fact that she's sort of always running away from talking about death and dealing with it. Yeah. Like the whole Zelda yeah. thing, and she she's not happy when I forget his name, but Wooden Dad is talking to the daughter about what happens when you die. She like she's not happy about it. Mm. But I'm guessing like it's sort of the fact that she's going all this way. They're putting obstacles in her way, but she's still overcoming them to get home. Like she's actually gonna deal with death, and well, she does. <laughs> Indeed. Well, that's it. You know, you get to this this last last act, and we've got Evil Gage. Yeah, who is is definitely the, you can take your Damien's and any other creepy kid in a film. I think yeah, he just about notches it as the creepiest kid in a horror film. I would agree um, because you know he's very vocal. He's laughing all the time. Lauren, I told you I can't talk to you right now. Any kid that is going to go for your Achilles tendon, yeah, Jesus, is you know it's one of those injuries. Whether it's this film or something like uh, Audition, anything that goes for it, <laughs> God, mm. it's not nice. Um, and you can it, it makes it believable. I think you know it's this little kid who's taking on you know Fred Gwynn's a, a big fella. You know he's not he's not a even though he's 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 quite old, he's he's still got something about him. Yeah. But you know, that's gonna bring <laughs> that's gonna bring you down to your knees. Um, I love then... that. I love that line when he's uh, trying to find him in his bedroom, and he's like, "I've got something for you, Gage," and he's like opening that flip knife. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, you've got you've got those sort of you know. Obviously, I don't think you can make up a kid to look. You know he's looking pretty good considering he got floored by a a big, however many ton truck. Yeah. But obviously you, you can't really um, make up a kid that much, I suppose. No. But you know you can give him slick slick down hair, <laughs> um, which is just the mark of evil, really, isn't it? 
the freakiest bit of this film is he just randomly there with a top hat and cane. When I think Lewis, Lewis sort of no, it's when um, when Rachel sort of finds him. He's just got a top hat and cane on again. Whether that's something in the book, I don't know. But well, actually, um, I was going to ask you about that. Did you notice the little bit of creepy foreshadowing? Because when Rachel is at her parents' house and she's trying to call home, she's in the living room. And above the fireplace is a giant like oil painting, and the oil painting is of a little kid wearing exactly the same thing as what Cage is wearing, a top hat and a cane, and he has a little grey cat by his leg. Wow. Oh, no, I didn't see that. I'd have to look for that. Yeah. It's, and you see it a couple of times, and then I noticed it when he comes towards her. He's wearing this top hat and cane, and it's sort of like, here he is. <laughs> but yeah, it's it just, it, oh God, yeah, it's freaking. But then you get, and this, because the, the last time I watched this, like I said, got to the scene where Gage gets run over, and I could, to be honest, I couldn't watch anymore. I was a bit like, I don't really want to watch this. Um, so I never sort of got this far on my last rewatch of it. But the scene where he has to sort of kill Kate Gage is, I can honestly say, my heart just jumped into my mouth. It's a weird sense. It's a weird feeling, and the weird reaction for a film, I think, because you get various things. Whether it makes you jump, whether it makes you sad, whether it makes you um, angry or whatever. But this is just—it's just so upsetting because he blames himself for the accident, um, brings his 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 son back to life, who obviously goes on this horrible sort of killing spree, and he knows what he's got to do and his punishment it's his punishment basically is he has to kill his own son you know and he knows it's that sort of again it's just so it for the amount of unrealistic acting there is in this film this is the most you you know if you had something uh in in a in a syringe or whatever and you you know pop that into a kid's neck like he does that is exactly the reaction the kid would have is out, yeah. Out, 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 and just sort of toddle off. They probably wouldn't say no fair. They, you know, yeah. but it's it's just heartbreaking. It really is. Yeah, it is really uncomfortable, and he just sort of like wanders around the corner and slumps down, and we just watch him die again. Like it's it is a, quite disturbing. And that's it. Like I say, you know, that's the that's his sort of punishment. His final punishment is that he has to do that, and then. You know, as as good as Victor Pascal's decisions are to uh, to try and save this family, Lewis makes that final decision that completely ruins it. Sticking his wife in the pet cemetery, and then she comes back in the single creepiest bit of special effects, yeah, with a oozy face, yeah, straight out the eye socket, and uh, uh, and that's it. Curtains, and we get the Ramones playing us out, which is. Just the, that tone is just um, is so bizarre. Do you reckon it's maybe because you've just been on a ride for an hour and 40 minutes of just pure depression and you like, you've watched this guy lose all of his family somewhat through choices of his own and everyone is going to die now and then <laughs> boom, we you need get the Ramones. Well, no, I don't don't know. It just doesn't fit. You know, you get sort of, you get films that can get away with that. I'm trying to think off the top of my head now, but you'll get, you know, where that tone's right to sort of, 
you know, even with a depressing ending, you'll get that big sort of musical boom to take you into the credits and that, but it just doesn't work for me. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's some nice little bits of score in this film as well. That very sort of, some horror movies do it where it's sort of, you get the creepy score and then it just goes away and, oh, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's not bad. I mean, you know, to sort of finish off with Stephen King's little, little sort of cameo, it got very sort of condensed Stephen King here. I think he was off the drugs by this point, I think. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and comfort you and lift you up and give you peace. Amen. Yeah, I think 89 was right, right so you, about the time of you're the... Not, uh, you're not getting full gurney um, Stephen King at this point. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's it's a nice little little inclusion, really. Well, while you're talking about the music, actually, I do want to just say that um, the guy who did the music for this is um, Elliot Goldenthal, I think that's how you pronounce the name. He did the music for Alien 3. Oh. Which is one of my favourite scores. Um, and I also like the score for this. It's kind of haunting and creepy and childlike in some points as well, in some bits. Um, so yeah, I, I did enjoy the score. But I think, you know, the, the the main reason I sort of picked this was the horror parts of this film are very good. They're very effective. Um, the special effects... Uh, a decent enough, you know, very sort of freaky. You've got a very good sort of an antag- uh, protagonist, no, antagonist, sorry, in Engage, a very sort of memorable, it's a very memorable film, but I yeah. wouldn't say that it's fantastic. It would be a, no, I think, a three out of five, I think. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. I think I probably enjoyed it a lot more when I was a kid and when I watched it when I was younger, it scared the shit out of me. Um, and watching it now... I still find it creepy, um, but it's it doesn't have that same that punch as it used to. Um, but I definitely, I, that, I definitely would say that it's for me. It's that it's the best film with a Stephen King appearance in it. Yeah. It's definitely the the strongest one because you got first pick. Um, that means I couldn't have chosen this film. But if it was me, I would have gone for this as well. It would have probably been my first pick. And also, just a word on, um, is it Mary Lambert, mm-hmm. the, the director of this? Yeah, um, like you, I'm not, I don't really know a lot about her. All I really know about her is the fact that she did this, and she also did the sequel, Pet Cemetery 2, which is supposed to be really, really bad. But I've I seen have it. seen it. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's got um, everybody's favourite moody teenager, Edward Furlong, in it. Yes. Um, and okay. Clancy Brown being his usual, yeah. usual dickhead, basically. Um, okay. I think he plays his heart. I can't remember too much about it. I can't remember if... He's not the Kurgan in this as well, no. is it? <laughs> no. I can't remember the ins and outs of it. I think they, they end up... I've got a feeling they end up killing him because he's the sort of nasty stepdad. And yeah. they, take, they, they bring him back, I think, to try and cover up the fact that they've killed him. I think anyway, but it's not it's not great at all. And as you mentioned earlier, yes. you've got the, the the remake twenty nineteen, I think it was, which I've not mm. looked at. I know it 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 flip flops a lot of the uh... yeah. I I went to see it at the cinema and I didn't enjoy it. This one is definitely the stronger movie. 
um, in my opinion. I wasn't keen on it. Okay. I'll have to, I think I'll have to have a, a look because I think it is still streaming at the minute. So yeah, it's it's worth worth a go. For like it's under two hours, I think. So it's not it's not too bad. I just feel like if you've seen this one, you don't really need to see the remake. Like they do a couple of little things that are different. Obviously, they change um, who gets hit by the truck, and then a little bit near the end, sort of thing. I think. Well, I don't want to. I maybe won't spoil it, but um, they do a couple of little things different. But I just. I feel like this is the stronger movie, um, in my personal opinion. Mm. And also, just back on to uh, Mary Lambert, I think was her name. Um, I don't think this movie is as well-directed as my pick, but there are a couple of little moments that I saw when I was watching this that I thought, oh, that was nice, and um, I just wanted to point them out, and that was when Judd's talking to... I forget the guy's name, the dad, because he's quite... Lewis. Lewis, when he's talking to Lewis, and he's telling him about his dog um, when he buried him. And when it goes back into the flashback, the camera just sort of pans across the table from them talking out the window, and then it's like 1940s or whatever. And I, I really like that that little camera movement. And also yeah. um, when we see Judd get um, his tendons sliced and that whole scene, and then when Rachel goes into Judd's house, we follow her, but we follow her from her ankles and we see her like walk in and we're always kept on her ankles because we're like jesus christ when's cage going to come out and do that again and that was a nice little (laughs) just a nice little shot i I like that so there's there's some there's some good bits in here i don't she's certainly not a terrible director i just think it is it's very by the numbers it's very she knows what she's doing i think yeah well it did only i mean i think you can sort of tell um because one thing i meant to mention towards the start was um there is a little documentary on youtube on un, uncovered and untold or something like that okay um it's a it's a very sort of ban uh fan based fan based fan made documentary um but it's it's got some interesting bits in it okay the guy who plays lewis looks terrible oh jesus um these days um it, it looks a bit like you know billy's ghost in scream for uh five <laughs> 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 all right okay <laughs> sort of swelled a little bit. But they mentioned at the start of that, um, the producer whose name alludes to me at the moment, there were she was trying to get it made from about nineteen eighty four and they just kept saying no, no, no. We've got the script, the script's done. Um Stephen King had written the script. It's all ready to go. No, no, no. Then eighty eight comes along. Um the Writers Guild of America strikes, so they've got to make anything that's got a script which they had to do okay so well they had this ready and that's why how we got why it got made which you can probably sort of tell that to be fair with the script yeah it's not the best yeah it might need a little bit of work i guess um i mean i'm no expert but i I feel like there's maybe there's some things they could have polished off and spent a bit more time doing yeah well i mean you know if you if you'd got better people delivering the lines maybe then maybe not oh god yeah that would make a hell of a difference so there we go. I think you know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna beat this film to death, or slice its ankles, or anything like that. So, I'll uh, hand over to you to let us know what uh, what you went with. Uh, hello and welcome to the intermission. 
This is uh, the part of the, the episode where we uh, just take a little break from discussing our choices for this week and just want to uh, pose a, a little question in the break to uh, our co-host. So with this uh, episode being uh, Liam's choice of subject, it's it's up to me to to think of something to, to get his... Uh, get his brain around and, and make a sort of choice on. So, Liam. Yes. So. Uh, I've got a question for you. Okay. Go for it. It's a bit of a would-you-rather question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw this online, but I thought I'd throw it to you because um, I thought it was quite an interesting one. So, it's a choice. Choose wisely. Uh, so, the question I pose to you, Liam, is... Would you rather delete the entire Terminator franchise from history or the entire Predator franchise from history? Oof. Okay. Um, uh, right, okay. So I have to choose one to delete. Uh, mm, that's difficult. Uh, because I think they both have cracking first movies but then you could say that terminator you know everybody always goes to terminator 2 judgment day as being you know a great sequel which it is and it's a fantastic movie um i i'm quite partial to terminator 1 though but i do like t2 it's difficult but then when you've got the predator franchise i suppose you would say that predator is the best movie and i know we discuss predator 2 and we do love it but i would say that Terminator 2 is definitely a better movie than Predator 2, so... Hmm. It's difficult. What has the worst sequels? Ugh. <laughs> See, I can pick one. I, I, that's, I know what I'd pick. Yeah. I think you'd pick Terminator, and I'm... Uh, just because of, like, the shitty sequels we've had for that. And I think Terminator's... A difficult movie because it it's I don't know you don't have a lot to play with it's playing with time travel which is troublesome <laughs> troublesome yeah it's hard to do in films because you do the littlest thing wrong and everybody wants to nitpick it unless you just treat it like back to the future and it's like fuck it we're here to have fun this isn't a science movie um, but uh, I don't know uh, fuck, I have I to press you for an answer yeah, okay, all right, okay. Everybody's, I'm just coming, gonna... everybody's coming back from the toilet. <laughs> Shit, okay, all right. I'm going to go with my gut, and I'm going to delete the... Oh. oh, this is really odd. I'm not actually <laughs> deleting it, so it doesn't really matter. Okay, um, I'm going to delete the Terminator franchise just because they'll never make another good movie. I, I don't care what anybody says. It'll never happen. Um... Because Terminator is robots and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and eventually Arnold is going to die, and it's they're just going to keep doing the same shitty movie over and over again, and it's not going to be interesting. But I feel like Predator, they still have a chance to do a good movie or two, um, and I would be more interested in watching a new Predator film than a new Terminator movie. Yeah, that was difficult. Uh, <laughs> that's 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 what I would do. Well, I, w- I would agree with you. I think um, mainly just because fuck James Cameron. <laughs> because, <Yeah. laughs> 
Uh, but not no, not just not can, just that. Can we, yeah, can we delete the Avatar franchise? <laughs> God, I wish. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's a lot more rewatch value in the Predator series. I think you've got arguably arguably three good films in there, and you've got yeah, two. I, I know so. one and two, Terminator one and two are yeah really good films. But I always think, well, if what would I rather watch, Terminator one, two? Or Predator, and it'd probably be Predator to be honest. Yeah, uh, I would agree. And I know people might find that hard to believe that we're gonna delete Terminator and Terminator Two from history. But if we keep them, we've got to keep Genesis and what was his last one? Dark Dark, Dark Fate. Fate. I quite enjoyed yeah. Genesis to be fair, um, mm. but fucking number uh, three, the one with Christian Bale shouting at people and. Yeah, the, salvation. The, yeah, and Dark Fate were just awful in many. In, in I think salvation. I don't think I've still watched the whole of Salvation or the whole of Dark Fate. So yeah, it's a shame they fucked up Salvation really because it's you know that's that's what we were all really wanted to see. I think mm-hmm. that whole and you know they just wasted it. I don't know why they don't go back and try and do that. They just keep having to go back to the time travel shit. Yeah, but, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's Ooh. let's get. Shake our fists. Shake harder, boy. Let's, <laughs> let's get rid of the Terminator yeah. franchise. I'm quite happy okay. with that. Well, uh, everybody's back now from the toilet. Everybody's back from the toilet and they've had their, their ice creams and got okay. a, a fresh bucket of popcorn to rustle. So uh, let's head back to the uh, the main podcast. Yes. Thank you and see you at the next intermission. Okay, um, well, I guess everybody might know from the title of this episode, but um, the movie that I went for was Creepshow, actually. I went a bit high-pitched there, so I'm going to do that again. Creepshow? <laughs> the, mo- the movie I went for was the uh, 1982 George Romero-directed Creepshow. Coming soon. Jolting tales of horror. Creepshow. From the author of Carrie, The Shining, and Cujo. And the creator of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Okay, um, so Creepshow was directed by George Romero, the zombie godfather. Uh, Stephen King wrote the screenplay and it was... And it stars um, Adrian Barbeau. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Uh, Fritz Weaver, Leslie Nielsen, the great Leslie Nielsen, Ted Danson as well. Um, and there's also a little cameo in this from Stephen King's son, Joe Hill. He's um, the son right at the start with the comic book, with Tom Atkins as well. Um, it really, it really disturbed me. I've got to say it that Tom Atkins didn't have a mustache. Yes. <laughs> well, the fact that he didn't have a mustache and he was being a bit of an arsehole, because I'm used to Tom Atkins just being like a bit of a wisecracking badass hero, mm. and the fact that he's just he's saying every other word is crap. Yeah. Um, and you know yeah, he's got sex but, um, books under his bed. <laughs> yeah. Oh Jesus. <laughs> 
but fucking hell, yeah, I, I love Tom Atkins. Um, hopefully, we'll get chance to talk about like Night of the Creeps and Halloween Three, which, but I'm sure we will. But anyway, um, I digress. So, uh, the synopsis for the film is an anthology which tells five terrifying tales inspired by the EC horror comic books of the 1950s. So, as I said before, um, Stephen King wrote the screenplay for this. I think him and George Romero were actually planning on adapting The Stand um, into a movie uh, before they did this, but obviously that would have cost a lot of money and um eventually that didn't turn out so they still decided they wanted to, they wanted to work together on something so that's where creep show was born and also creep show was one of the first horror anthology movies i actually watched um as a kid and that's one of the reasons why it sort of popped into my head when i was thinking of this so as i said there's five segments in this horror anthology and they are uh father's day the lonesome death of geordie verrill Something to Tide You Over, The Crate, and They're Creeping Up On You. Um, two of these are actually based on Stephen King's short stories. Um, the Lonesome Death of Geordie Verrill, I think, was called The Weeds or The Weeds, and uh, The Crate was also a short story that he had published in a magazine, I think. Um, so that's that. Do you, want to make, do you want to go through the segments piece by piece? I think so. I think that's probably the best thing to do. Um Okay, so the first segment is Father's Day. It's got the one and only Ed Harris doing some really creepy dancing. With hair as well. And not be not being his usual moody self. Yeah, it's actually a bit weird to see him with some hair. Uh, he's quite he's quite young in this, but he also looks old as well, if that's possible. Like <laughs> yeah. Um But yeah, basically so this first one is some aunties off to her dad. And then it stolen the money. Uh, she killed him on Father's Day, and he comes back wanting his cake. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I couldn't quite figure out if this had some sort of sexual undertones to it. It was just very strange. Yeah, it is. Well, I guess there's some sort of flirting between. Uh, I forget her name. Uh, I've got to be honest. I think some of the characters in this first one are a little bit bland and boring. Like everyone's just sort of posh, pretentious. Um, old money type people. Um, I can't remember any of their, of their names, um, so they're all a little bit forgettable. I think the only reason why I like this one is because um, of the uh, the dad, the dad zombie that crawls his way out, and he's just constantly saying that he wants his cake. <laughs> and to quote Bora, at the end, he get it. Starters, I got my cake. Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's a um, bit of an odd way. It is just sort of there, isn't it? There's not much to it. It's very... Yeah, it's it's a good little starter, I guess, because um, I definitely want to get to my, my fate. I think there's two of these that are my favourite, and the rest are all sort of... They're, they're okay, I think, they, but the... The two that I love the most, I think, are definitely the best. Um, so I'd be interested to see if you agree with that. Um, yeah, I'm not really going to spend too much time talking about Father's Day because I just feel like it's 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 okay. It's um, there to get you going, isn't it? It's, yeah, definitely. And um, the special effects uh, in this are, are, are pretty decent for the time, 1982, and it's um, Tom Savini that's doing all the special effects. Yeah. So that's there nice. is a there is a lovely a lovely neck twist in Father's Day. Yes. I will yes. Yeah, that that is pretty good. 
and what sort of runs through this whole creep show movie is that like the cinematography is really cool um i love like the comic book style that they've gone for like yeah sometimes the frame will have actual like comic book frames um or it'll have like some cool design mm-hmm. um and also when something bad happens that's when like some color will be introduced so you get like these nice pops of red and blue or purple um and then you get that zany background and it just has that like comic book feel to it which is really cool um it's really fun and it's kind of um i guess quite different for a george romero movie um it's uh it's well directed i think compared to the first pick there's some definite shot choices in here and along with the cinematography it's it's a lot more pleasing to the eye and i think it's pretty well directed it's more i think it's it, it comes across more i want to say hollywood but yeah i hollywood if you know what I mean, it's not taking it. The, the, the directions, the film doesn't take itself too seriously, and I don't think. It, and Romero doesn't take himself too seriously, to be fair. No. I don't think he does in anything that he's done post Night of the Living Dead. Um, yeah, so I'll agree with that. It's the the film is fun, and I think everybody making it knows that it's supposed to be fun. Um, so it just embraces that silliness, that that comic book esque uh, type thing. Um, Okay, so yeah, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about Father's Day because I I really want to get to um, my personal favourite. And if we're talking about Stephen King cameos, I think this is definitely the best one. Really? So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, so uh, yeah, it's The Lonesome Death of Geordie Verrill, which stars Stephen King. Holy old Jesus! And obviously this is like 1982, so this is the height of Stephen King being absolutely coked out of his face. I put coked up to his eyeballs. Yes. Because <laughs> even if you don't know that he was coked up to his eyeballs, yeah. you can tell in this film. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I guess we shouldn't make fun about it really, but like Stephen King had a really bad drug problem and a really bad drink problem. Um for most of the eighties, really, um, he was doing a, a shitload of blow and just drinking a lot of beer, a lot of vodka, um, a lot of spirits. Um, so yeah, but he he also wrote some of the best books um, of his career in in that sort of time period. Um, so he was he was firing them out. But anyway, for this segment, Geordie Verrill, played by Stephen Stephen King, he's a hick farmer, and he's sort of got money troubles. Uh, he's got really bad luck, and um, suddenly this meteorite just drops from the sky. This is shit if that ain't a meteor. Um, and he thinks that this might be his ticket to some money, um, but little does he know that once he's chucked water on it touched it touched himself that he's spreading this alien fauna flora fauna this alien weed that slowly starts to take over his property his house and himself i think the main reason why i like this is probably because of stephen king because he gives such a over-the-top performance that he's great like He's actually really good. I, I I personally think he's really good in this. He's he's so silly, and I also like the little um, the little cutaways that it has to when he thinks what he's going to do with this meteorite, whether he's going to take it to the university and sell it for big money. I wonder how much they'd pay for it up to college. Or he's or he's broken it, and now he's not going to get any money. 
those scenes are really done well i think and they're really fun it's a good little segment i think and i i think out of the five it's my favorite and it's also quite depressing as well really once you see what happens to to geordie at right at the end it is it's true he has nothing but bad luck um so yeah it's well it's i'm, I'm going to drop something in here because I would go the other end of the scale because I thought this was the worst, worst oh, really? in the film. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Although I will say that King is a better is better at acting when he's on the on the drugs. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe um, maybe Matey Boy from Pet Cemetery could have done some coke and that would have given a better performance. Cause Jesus, he needed. But no, it. I don't know. It just it just didn't it didn't no? didn't click didn't click with me at all. It okay. was mercifully I thought it was it was nice and short. Yeah, but okay. no, I just didn't. I didn't get it at all. Okay, sorry to say. No, that's fine. Well, you know, we're all allowed to have different opinions, so that's totally fine, mate. Um, out of interest, then, what would you say would be your favourite? Well, I think I think it'd be cool to sort of do at the end of this. Maybe do our our running order of what was the best. All right, what okay. Was the worst. All right, so yeah. I'll, I'll save that because I think it'd be okay. Cool. Quite interesting to do, but this would be at the bottom. <laughs> Wow, okay, all right, I think, I might change um, my mind by the end. You might convince me on something, but right, not Okay. Mind. Well, I just, I like the fact that it is quite short. I don't know whether it's the shortest one. I think it might be, but Stephen King's performance, I think, is great. It's just meteor shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you done it now, Jordy Farrell, you monkhead. He's just a fucking dunce. He's just, he's just so good. Um, But anyway... Uh, yeah, so that's that one is my my favourite. Meteor shit. Um, and then we've got something to tide you over, which um is another good one. I think it stars uh Leslie Nielsen, who's actually kind of playing a serious role, and he's really good in it. I, I think it, it, I thought it was really hard. It's quite hard to sort of watch because you're just waiting for him to to yeah. to do something very silly. Obviously, it gets a bit more. Yeah. Silly towards the the end of the segment, but it's just it's really yeah. it just very off putting. I thought. Yeah, I I do get that. I did find it the first time I watched it, or maybe on a rewatch a while back. That like you are kind of used to him playing like Frank Drebin or whatever, like this stone faced but comedic well, he does, genius. He does, he does pull he, off sinister though. To be fair, you know. Yeah, I think so. Like he he does give a good performance. Um and also Ted Danson's not that bad in it either. He's I think he's pretty good and it's a cool little idea um what he does. You do sort, sort of, of get though that the impression because he's got that sort of un unbuttoned sort of shirt that he's Robin Williams levels of hairy under that. <laughs> I don't want to think about that. I'll give you anything. Just get just get me out of this hole. All right? Well, I have something here, Harry. Take your mind off of it. But yeah, that's that's another good one. Um, I think it's quite fun. Again, with the cinematography right near the end, there's some real like really nice bit of shadow work when uh, Ted Danson and his girlfriend or whatever have come back from the dead after being buried up to the uh, the neck in the sand, and then the tide has washed in and uh, and drowned them. So they've come back for revenge. Did, did you not think though that this is a very that story is a very similar story to the first story to Father's Day of somebody who's been killed and coming back from the dead. I guess so, yeah, to for revenge, but I guess the difference is that the person who's killed in the first one Father's Day is kind of a bit of a horrible shit. Mm. 
Like he, you can see he's a pain. He's just demanding his cake. And I think he killed his daughter's like well, yeah. lover. So I guess she's, she's, she's well, well, I don't want to say well within her rights, but she, you know, I can understand why she wanted to kill her dad. Well, these, these, these so, two have been having an affair. I guess so, but I think you can <laughs> sort of tell like that they're actually in love. And did Leslie Nielsen actually love her, or was he just sort of using her? Um, and the way that he kills them is quite horrible and slow, and you know, it's not like an ashtray over the head. It's a, you, it's a lot of hard work in 1982 to to get all that set up going as well. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to admire his, his persistence and his dedication to, to getting it done. Just take a look at the VCR back there. Oh, I'm sorry, you can't turn your head. Let me assure you, Harry, the VCR is not on play, it's on record. I'm going to save this stuff. Dude, you're a part of my whole movie. You're insane. Oh, don't be lying now. Not long at all. Yeah, I do love like how easy it would be to do it now, but in 1982, like he got, he has to go and take his jeep back to the house to to bring back these like fucking reels of cables so he can plug in like the VCR and the TV and leave it on the beach. It's like, oh my god, it's a big a big fuck off VCR as well. It's not like it's yeah, and one of those big glass fronted TVs. Like we spent ten minutes of this segment just watching him plug in <laughs> electronics. <laughs> but yeah, that that's that's a bit of a fun one, and it's another good little um, Tom Savini special effects like. Him and his girlfriend, after they're deceased, like they're all their skins all like water drenched and and ripply. And then when he shoots them, like this horrible, dirty coloured blood comes out, and they're all covered in seaweed. Like it's it's it's, it's fun. It's a nice little design. Um. So yeah, that's something to tide you over. Um. The next one is maybe my second favourite, which is uh also based on a Stephen King short story, and that's the crate. Um, this one's quite cool. I think maybe it's a little bit too long. It could have maybe been edited down a, a tad. I do feel like it drags a little bit. But basically, the story is that um, a janitor finds a crate underneath a stair, underneath um, some stairs. It's from like the 1800s, from an Antarctic expedition. They come and open it, and inside this crate is this horrible, hairy monster that can't stop eating people. Um, but then you have other things going on. The uh, protagonist uh which i can't remember his name but i think he's played by whole halbrook or something like that anyway um yeah um he has a terrible terrible wife who's played by adrian barbo who i love um and it's she's actually quite fun in this for the like 10 10 minutes she's in it she's just a terrible whiny drunk and she's a bitch <laughs> and <laughs> and he just has these scenarios where he daydreams about killing her <laughs> but he's not man enough to do it apartment is looking to put the knife in i mean some of these so called academics make the shark in jaws look like fucking flip wilma husband's calling you billy oh god henry what's wrong now not a thing, Wilma. Everything's just fine. Do you know? Do you know what? I, I sort of got to this point in the film, and I thought the women are written to be very horrible in this in this film across all the segments. Because you've got in Father's Day, you've got three women who you know one who killed a dad, one who doesn't give a shit and is a bit just blasé about it, and then you've got this this other woman who's a bit of a shit as well. Um, then you've got Liam uh, Liam Neeson's wife, Jesus Leslie Nielsen's wife, who's obviously having an affair, and then you've got Adrian Barbo, who's just again a bit of a shit. 
um, and not a very good, not a very nice wife. It, it doesn't, it doesn't sort of put women in a very good light. This film. Um, I can see that. Um, I mean, it is 1982, so they weren't really representing women that great. But I would say that in the first one, Father's Day, that you do have, granted, they're maybe not the best characters, but they do stand up to, or she does stand up to her father, who's a bit of an abuser in some ways, and she's like, no, I'm not having it anymore. I'm going to smash you over the head with a an ashtray. <laughs> so, like, you know, he kind of did deserve it. And we don't really get to see a lot of Ted Danson's girlfriend that he's been having an affair with, but um, we do have to mm. watch her sort of, like, horribly slowly drowned which is not nice um so yeah um but then to be fair to be fair to adrian barbo it does look like a very boring party that oh yeah i mean they're all stiffy sort of college professors scientists and all that sort of stuff i mean you can tell it in the production design as well which is really good because everyone's just wearing like gray and beige and dull colors but she's like wearing this red top and she's like being really like boisterous and loud and annoying uh but i think she's quite fun in this it's kind of nice because every time you see um well every time i've seen adrian barbo in film she's always been like you know usually quite a strong female character and i guess maybe it was Mm. fun for her to play someone who's just like a bit of a drunk arsehole um (laughs) so i i did like her in this um but yeah i i probably will say that the women are not probably maybe not um very well represented in this. Uh, but it's 1982. It is of the time, I guess. Um, but what happens to her is uh, her husband has the idea of um, feeding her to Fluffy, the monster that's inside the crate, uh, as a way to get rid of her. And it works. He gets rid of her. When was the last time you got it up, Henry? Huh? When was the last time you were a man in our bed? Now get out of my way, Henry, or I swear to God you'll be wearing your balls for earrings. And I swear to God, if you ever touch um, So, there you go. Um, but another instance of, I think, this being well-directed is look, there's a couple of nice shots in this, and one of my favourites is when um, the professor and the janitor, they're sort of examining the crate that's hidden under the stairs, and the janitor drops the flashlight, and it hits the floor and it rolls, and then it cuts to the box, and you see the light go across the writing that's inked onto the box and then it cuts back to the flashlight as it rolls back and it's just like a really nice way of you know showing Mm. you a bit of text on there it's showing you it's not telling you it's you know i think that's just an instance of a director doing a really good job um and the same thing is there's a good bit of tension building when um they finally get the crate out and it's on the, the desk and they're slowly pulling the the nails out and we're seeing them come out and you're like, oh god, they're going to be opening this box pretty soon. And it's just, you know, just a little scene like that. It's a little, it's just something that's well shot, I think. Um, yeah. So that's um, the crate, and then the last one uh, is they're creeping up on you, which is all about cockroaches, um, which is kind of fun. So. And although they're essentially brainless, you have to watch them because they creep up on you. It is very sort of. This is pure horror, really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah definitely. It's, it's such a simple idea of being freaked out by bugs, really. Mm-hmm. And but you've got this protagonist who is not very likable at all, 
and gets what he deserves. Nice little sort of finish to the to the to movie, I thought. Yeah, and I think when I was doing my little bit of research, there was this was the most expensive segment to film. I think they spent like a crazy amount of money just buying these cockroaches um, to fill up this apartment. Um, Is it something like ridiculous, like three pound, three dollars fifty or something per yeah. cockroach? And they had four thousand. Yeah, it's something, something crazy like that, like the price of per cockroach, and then how many they had. Um, it was really, really expensive. But it is, uh, it it's it's not my favourite, but it is a good one. So you you do have this protagonist who's like this sort of Howard Hughes sort of, you know, bit of a crazy eccentric billionaire that lives in this super clean flat. He's really obsessed with everything being clean and straight and tidy and stuff, but he's being constantly pestered by cockroaches and he's just a horrible person um and yeah he gets what he deserves in the end he gets tormented by these bugs and he's treated everyone in his life i think like bugs and tried to squish them out of existence and uh this time he gets completely devoured by cockroaches and they burst their way out of his flesh which is a great little um yeah, oh. uh, it's quite disturbing, but um, it's it's a good way to. I'd say that's that's probably the 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 best effect in the film is that popping out of there. Yeah, oh, God, they... it's just creepy. I've always had a bit of a thing yeah, for bugs. No, I agree, they're pretty gross. There's something about cockroaches as well. This is no, not nice. But it is it's a it's a cool little it's a cool little scene. The way they just sort of like burst out of his skin and just start crawling all over his dead body, <laughs> and then it sort of. Cuts back. I don't know whether to reality, but like there are no bugs. They've all gone, and uh, he's dead. Um, no, no, that's not right. It does because you think that they're, they're not. Yeah, they've all gone. And then yeah, they all start coming out his flesh. That was it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that that's that. And then we go back to um, the beginning with Stephen King's real life son, Joe Hill. He's bought a mail order voodoo doll from the creep show comic book that we see at the start of the film and he's uh killing his dad oh it's his goddamn stiff neck i can barely move my head you must have strained it yeah yeah i guess i don't know well you poor old bear you want me to get some bengay no no ah oh. oh. oh, teach me to throw away my comic books oh. <laughs> yeah, nice way to end. Uh, As you do. And we also get a little cameo by Tom Savini. He's plays one of the garbage men uh, at the end. Yeah, and that's that's creep show. I would also like to say that uh, I like the music as well. Um, mm. I think the guy who did the music is John Harrison, who's worked with Romero a few times, and he did the music for Day of the Dead, which is my favourite dead movie. Um, and the score for that's really good. And the music for this is really good too like each segment kind of has its own little theme like the geordie verrill segment is very sort of 1950s mm. and you can tell that in the score like there's these really good little 1950s sci-fi <laughs> bits <laughs> there is this very sort of um electronic i think it's in it's in the um the leslie nielsen segment in it with the sort of the the 
electronic sort of score. Yeah. There's very sort of day uh, dawn of the dead, day of the dead. But yeah, it's it's each one matches up to its segment, I think. Yeah, I think so. Like they've they've made them their own little individual story. Um mm. uh and you know, but yeah, they're really good. Well, I mean, this was you know, it's the first time I've watched this. I've not they've always sort of been on the radar, but I've not watched any of the of the creep shows. So this was my first. Yeah. Sort of viewing, and I've definitely have you thought. S- sorry, go on. sorry. Have you seen Creep Show Two? I'm guessing you haven't. Okay. No, no, no. Well, I thought mm. for some bizarre reason I thought you'd said Creep Show Two. Um, well, my original pick was Creep Show Two, and I was going back and forth whether to do the first one or the second one, and I was really unsure. But I think just because the Stephen well, King cameo in this for me was one of the things that made me pick it, and that the the choice that I've made wasn't best Stephen King cameo. It was just best movie with a so, Stephen King cameo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Well, I mean, I thought, you know, it was, it was good. I enjoyed a lot, some segments a lot more than others, mm. but it's, it, it's very sort of good old fashioned horror. It's, mm. you know, each, each segment for the most part has that little, little twist to it. Little different sort of homage, I suppose, to different different types of horror. Um, yeah. I thought the effects were pretty good. I mean, for nineteen eighty two, is it? 82? Yeah, eighty two. Yeah, is pretty good. But then I wouldn't say it was the effects of Savini's best. It's a bit of no, a, definitely a bit not. of an odd one. Yeah. Um, then I suppose some of it's like the uh, fluffy in the in the crate is a little bit off. And a little bit cartoonish, but then I guess that's maybe fits with the tone of the film, really. It, like, quite, yeah, it, yeah, it almost looked like they were trying to do sort of King King Kong. He's very King Kongish, mm. you know, the original sort of um, sort of features. I suppose not, maybe not the original, but the sort of seventies version. I think it is. Yeah, well, you the can universal. tell it's a guy in a suit, and it's like the face doesn't have a lot of articulation really i think it just might have some cheeks that well, I think breathe I read, and stuff I th- like that i think i read somewhere it wasn't that for his savini's first animatronic he's not he'd not done an animatronics before i'm sure i read that somewhere it, it could have been i mean i know he he worked a lot with george romero and i know he did obviously friday the 13th mm-hmm. um so um, so what would you what would you how would you rank creep show uh, what each of the segments? Mm. Okay. Um, well, worst, worst th- to best. Worst to best. Well, I think I would go uh, Father's Day. Uh, they're creeping up on you. Something to tide you over. The crate and lonesome death of Geordie Verrill. I think. Okay. Yeah. What What would you go? I go. Stephen King segment last. Okay. I would go. Meteor shit. <laughs> it, yeah, uh, that was that echoes my sentiment really. Okay. Um, I would probably go. It's a tough one. This I would. It's between Father's Day and something to tide you over. Mm-hmm. But. I'd probably go something to tide you over. Okay. As fourth, because it was cool to sort of see a sinister Leslie Nielsen. Mm. 
but I feel like it I goes on too long. I yeah, like it could be a lot shorter. Too, it's it's far too long. Um, Father's Day, it was, I liked it. It was nice, simple. Just got mm. on with it. Um, and then I'd say they're creeping up on you again. A lot like Father's Day, it's simple. You get everything mm. you need in however long it is, 15, 20 minutes. Um, and the, the effects are really cool, really uh, gross. Mm. And then the crate, number one, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fair. And I guess it's kind of nice that our films are quite different. The fact that mine's an anthology and yours is a pretty much a straightforward film. So I guess that's what something I had to think about was because I, I would have picked Pet Cemetery just because it is the best film. And this is kind of like five mini films in one, it, it being an anthology. So there are some that are better than others. So yeah, it was, it was tough. Like I say, I was toying between Creepshow 2 and Creepshow 1. I felt I felt like I had to go for Creepshow 1, really. Well, I mean, it is, it is you know, if it, if you're going by, you know, it's a, it's a big, but, you know, it's it's not just a cameo, is it? It's a big sort of performance by, by King. Um, yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's quite sort of standout really mm. because it's, it's him for a whole segment. Yeah. And I, I didn't have a problem with it too much. I, I quite enjoyed it, but then again, I don't know if that's just because I like Stephen King and I found his performance was so over the top that it was kind of, interesting to watch it was mm. quite cartoonish yeah and again obviously personally liked gremlins too um i like my cartoonish stuff um so yeah i i enjoyed it and um i would definitely recommend creep show 2 at some point because there's only three segments in that one but i think all of them are pretty good um like the yeah. raft and um and it's, it's good ones in that it's actually on youtube at the moment as well Yes, yeah, some some criminal has put it on YouTube for free. So if you would like to watch it, it is on there, which we don't condone, but we can't stop these people. With YouTube, it's you know it's a conglomerate or whatever it is, so you can watch yeah. it and exactly. feel happy about it. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, yeah. If you had gone for Creep Show two, you'd have saved me three pound fifty anyway. Oh well, apologies. You bastard. Um, Sorry. Well, you know, Stephen King might get some money out of that. But I think, you know, especially thinking about sort of future picks and things like that, I think this was a a really good choice of subject for a second one because it was something that that made you think and it's it's not necessarily just plumbing for something that you're very, you know, very passionate about. And I probably made more notes on on Pet Cemetery for one, you know, in than I did for, for Predator 2 last week, you know, I think yeah. it's, it's, it's the kind of subject that's, that's going to force you to, to look at sort of different decisions. I mean, I know we're probably sort of ready to talk about maybe what, um, other things we considered, which we are sort of doing, you know, you considered, pe- yeah. I mean, to be fair, there wasn't a lot looking at the sort of list of films he's, he's either a cameos in or roles in. Mm. Um, there wasn't a lot that I'd seen, um, the only two that really jumped out was Pet Cemetery and It Chapter Two. Yeah. Which. <sighs> yeah. Well. Is okay for some of it, but it's it's not, not okay Pet for most of it. Yeah. <laughs> 
But then he's, I think is 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 quite a little nice little performance in it, chapter two by Stephen King. I think you know, yeah, it's 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 a different performance to to what you saw in Creepshow, and it's a different performance to what you saw in something like Pet Cemetery. I yeah, mean, I know and, he's um, he's in something I thought about first, but then realised it was a miniseries and not film was the stand because he's yeah. got quite a big role in that or a mm. a prominent role in it. Yeah, well, I mean, as we're talking about all the other movies, um, we've got to remember that that it also had to be based on one of his books or you know something that he was involved in. So that also narrowed it down because I mean he has been in a lot of TV. I know he's done. Um, he was in an episode of Sons of Anarchy or something like that, and some other bits and bobs. But um, I mean, the other choices we had were uh, Maximum Overdrive, Creepshow Two, Sleepwalkers, which. I'd love to talk to talk about because um, that movie is so bad it's good. Thinner, another good bad movie. Ah, you um, see, I forgot about Thinner. Thinner is uh, Thinner was another one I considered actually because it is. Yeah, it's quite. It's, it, it's a nice, taut little film. Yeah, it's 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 actually not that bad. It's pretty good. And um, God, who was the guy who directed it? It was the guy who did uh, Child's Play. Um, Tom. Tom something fuck, but anyway, he's a good director. <laughs> he also did Fright Night, um, Ooh. which is a great movie. Yeah, so that was kind of it, really. I mean, there was Storm of the Century, but I wasn't too sure if that was a TV movie or not, or a series. Um, and obviously, like Tommy Knockers and stuff like that. I think. Um, so yeah, it was slim pickings, really. But that's that. I mean, that's. But it was I good. Guess... It was a good choice. I thought it was a good choice to subject. Yeah, I think one. it's nice to sort of challenge yourself and, you know, look for something maybe that you necessarily wouldn't have gone for. I mean, there's some great Stephen King movies out there, like we said, like, you know, Shawshank, The Mist, um, Stand By Me, but once you take them out of the equation and you're left with what we've got here, it's 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 difficult but also fun. So Cool. Yeah. Um, so I guess that concludes uh, Best Stephen King Movie Starring Stephen King. So, Pete, I guess, do you want to talk about maybe what we're going to be doing next episode? I certainly will. Um, Fantastic. So I've managed to, to amass over the, the the past few weeks quite a, a considerable list of subjects that I'd sort of go for. But I thought, as we'd done uh, an underrated... My first pick was an underrated. Obviously, you've gone for a, a best sort of film. So I thought I'd go with a flip of my original subject in looking for something that's um, perhaps overrated. Mm-hmm. So the choice for the next subject. So for episode three, um, we are going to be discussing what we consider to be the most overrated best picture winner at the Academy Awards. Okay. So that can include any film that uh, won the Academy Award for Best Picture since its inception in 1927. And that's literally the only role that there is. Right. So it has to be obviously something that is one Best Picture, but you consider to be overrated. I did consider it okay. sort of being the worst Best Picture, but I don't think, you know, I think most Best Picture films have got some redeeming quality, else they wouldn't have even been considered. But. Um, yeah, I would say most of them are fairly decent films, solid films that have won Best Picture. But there's 
there's multiple reasons it can be overrated, whether it's something else better should have won that year, or if just generally it's not as good as people made out for whatever reason. How do you feel? Anything, anything sort of popping in your in your head early on? Um, I think I'd have to go back and look at some best picture winners because like, I'm not really that big into the Oscars. Um, obviously, I know some of the movies that have won, some movies that I actually like um, that maybe have deserved it. So I can't think of anything at the minute. Then maybe. I'd have to double check to make sure they actually won Best Picture before I said it. Really, I don't want to. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't want to say, but I'm definitely going to have to look through that list, which I'm sure is a massive list if it goes back to like you know the 1920s. <laughs> I think Birth of a Nation is on there. Maybe I don't know. Oh, God. Be... <laughs> 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 oh dear. Um, but uh, as 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 always, we'll uh, we'll be announcing through the social medias um what our choices are a little bit in advance of the the episode dropping so that uh you lovely listeners have, have got an opportunity to to view uh what we've selected if if you've not seen them already or if you just want to sort of catch up on them if you've maybe seen them before and uh and want to uh, refresh your memory on them uh, we'll also be uh looking to to post a poll uh on this week's episode of uh best Movie starring Stephen King with my pick Pet Cemetery and Liam's pick uh, Creepshow and just see who you who you maybe sort of agreed with um, mm. and also you know any sort of feedback that you want to give us anything that you may maybe would have have, have selected and and just generally you know any any sort of feedback we're we'll be itching for um, let us know what you think and you know it's something we can we can take under advisement yeah. Hopefully we do get some feedback. I feel like with that uh, that French dude when they open itching scratchy land <laughs> in Europe. My kids Hello, they need more scratchy wine. land. Open for business. <laughs> <laughs> My kids they need wine. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so there we go. That's that's episode two of the Movie Duel podcast, all done and dusted. And uh, for this week, it just leaves me to say goodbye. And for Liam to say... Sometimes dead is better. Bye.